Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. I'm Tim Moore, the Senior Evangelist for Lamb & Lion Ministries and your host for this program. And I'm Nathan Jones, the Internet Evangelist here at Lamb & Lion and your co-host. For the second time in our Jesus in the Old Testament series, we're going to step backward in the chronology we've been following. We just completed our review of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, books that recorded events during and after the Jewish exile in Babylon. Now we're jumping back to the period of the patriarchs to look for Jesus in the book of Job. Job is considered by some to be the oldest book of the Bible, not predating the creation of course, but written to describe the experience of a man who lived around the time of Abraham, if not before. That would mean that Job lived almost 4,000 years ago. Now, we're not emphatic on the exact timing of the book because it has a timeless quality, but we know that Job lived in the land of Uz, which is a region southeast of Israel, and what we would call today southern Jordan. Now, the Bible would later refer to the region as Edom. Job endured some of the most unmerited suffering recorded in Scripture. Some people are shocked to learn who actually singled Job out for a season of testing. By the end of the book, Job has a list of questions to pose to the Lord. Racked by pain and overcome by injustice, Job is ready to put God on the hot seat. Our guest today is a man who made a dramatic impact on my life, and we've never even met. Like me, Del Tackett also served as an Air Force officer. Following his retirement, he was the driving force behind The Truth Project, a tremendous study that delves into a biblical worldview. I've taught through that seminar several times and have great respect for Dell's love of the Lord and his timely insights. Dell, it is a real honor to have you with us today on this episode of Christ in Prophecy. Well, thank you, Tim. It's a blessing to be with you and Nathan and your guests. Well, I'll tell you what, you are somebody I have looked forward to interacting with, uh, even through the airwaves as we are today, remotely. But what a tremendous impact you've had. And, and as we open up the book of Job, one of the oldest books in the Bible, if not in terms of its writing, then at least in terms of the account it's describing, Scripture is quite laudatory of this man known as Job. It, he is called blameless and upright. He is said to fear God and turn away from evil. And so, so far so good in terms of this man. But in a very mysterious passage, we're told that on a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, Satan also came among them. And as the Lord and Satan engaged in a dialogue, who brought up Job as a man worthy of consideration? Well, as strange as it may seem to us, God is the one that uh, brought him up. Uh, he said, have you considered my servant Job? And then he said some very amazingly positive things uh, about him, that he was blameless and upright and a man who feared God and turned away from evil. So, uh, yes, God introduced him to Satan. Wow. If I was, I think we could all agree that none of us would want to be introduced by God to <laughs> Satan and endure what Job had to do. It's interesting that once the Lord allowed Satan to go ahead and test Job, that within a few minutes, four different servants show up and they all bring terrible news. Your children are dead. Your servants are dead. Your crop, uh, your uh, cattle have been taken away and, and all this terrible thing. He went from very rich to very poor very quickly. And as uh, Paul Harvey used to say, well, the that's the rest of the story. Well, was Satan finished with Job yet? No, then, and then God spoke to Satan and said the same positive words again uh, uh, about 
Job, though Satan had done these things uh, to him, as God says, without cause. Uh, and Job had retained his integrity, and God was pointing that out. But Satan, as always, the accuser, you know, said that, well, that's because you didn't uh, let me uh, touch him. Uh, as Satan said, uh, let me touch his bone and, and flesh. And so then God then granted Satan access to him physically. And uh, he, as the scripture said, he was covered with loathsome sores from the sole of his feet to the crown of his head. And, and Job scraped himself with broken uh, pottery. So, so he suffered physically and he suffered mentally. And he also suffered, suffered psychologically and socially because his friends uh, turned out to be less than friends. Mm. They certainly did. You know, it's always interesting to me that Satan definitely had a role in Job's suffering. Satan is said to have inflicted him and the Lord allowed that. But who is it that knew the limits of, of Job's faith prior to his testing? In other words, you could almost say it was not just a test uh, of what Job could endure, but it was a test of his faith. And who also allowed the testing to come into Job's life and set boundaries on the inflictions that Job would suffer at Satan's hand? Yeah, and of course, God is, is the one uh, who, right from the beginning, uh, told Satan how far he could go uh, with Job and, and no farther. And just as we're given the promise in the New Testament that God will not allow us to be tested beyond uh, tempted beyond what we're able, God provided those same boundaries and limits for Job. And it's clear, you know, from the, the rest of the book that Job could take uh, a lot, uh, more, than, more than I could bear. Mm. It is interesting so, that Job had three friends show up and later a fourth friend. How much help was their counsel? Were they wise <laughs> men? <laughs> wise guys, I would say. Well, yeah. you know, they're... they're their words of wisdom uh, weren't always wise. You remember at the end of the book, uh, God was angry at them and took them to task for not speaking right about the character of God. Uh, unfortunately, Job's friends ended up being uh, more of a curse to him. Uh, they accused him and, he, and taunted him, uh, even in the, the midst of his, the worst of his suffering. I mean, <laughs> I mean, who needs Satan when you have friends like Job's? <laughs> Good way to put it. You know, the other thing that Job had at his hand was a helpmate who wasn't always uh, helping him to a right mentality. In other words, today, though we have the Scripture, the, the God's Word as revealed to us, and it shines as a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, according to Psalm 119, 105. But Job, being so early in human history, did not even have the written Word of God. He only had his faith in the Almighty and a determination not to sin. But it was his wife who suggested that he just curse God and die, but still Job did not sin with his lips. Well, we don't know uh, much about when Job uh, lived, but we do read this in Job 23, 12. As, as Job is speaking about God, he says this, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more 
than my portion of food. Mm. So Job had the word of God for sure. Whether or not uh, that was written or oral, we, we just don't know. But regardless, uh, Job remained faithful through all of this. I can't imagine what it would be like to be suffering deeply and the one earthly person that you would hope uh, would be comforting you would be your wife, uh, but she encouraged him to curse God uh, and to even and die. I mean, that's hard to comprehend. But we also need to note in all of this, and that is that Job was not perfect through all of this. Uh, he was faithful, but he wasn't perfect. When God finally speaks, he roars out to Job, and he says, then the, this is what we read in, in Job 30, 38, 1, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man, I will question you, and you make it known to me. Then God begins that long <laughs> pounding series of questions. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. It was a withering a cross-examine of Job. And in the middle of that, God says this to Job. He said, will you even put me in the wrong? Mm. Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? And when God finished with all of this, Job rightly said, oh, I despise myself and repent and dust and ashes. So Job, yes, Job remained faithful to God, but he wasn't perfect in his knowledge. And of course, none of us are. Wow. You know, it's, I feel kind of for the wife. She's kind of the unsung other character in the story. She lost all her children. She lost her status. She lost her money too. But she seemed to take the worldly view of it and saying, well, God must be punishing us. Let's curse God and die. And I think as society looks at it that way too, if anytime bad something happens, we say like we're back on the uh, playground, that's not fair. Uh, are we meant to live in a fair universe? Is that what Job teaches us? Well, that, that depends upon how we define the word fair, does it not? Uh, we often want our fairness to be according to our standards and our preferences. God is always fair, and He is always just. And in the end, uh, those who deserve punishment will receive it, and they'll receive it in full. Uh, and that's a punishment, actually, that we all deserve, except uh, for those who are in Christ, because He's taken that punishment uh, that was deserved uh, by us, and He's taken that upon Himself. That's what we read in Isaiah. He was punished for our iniquities. So in that way, God was fair. He punished Christ for our sins. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, it doesn't seem fair that I get off of what punishment and wrath I deserve, but really Christ endured that. And so God's justice was met. And, and thankfully, uh, His grace uh, is such that, that I don't get what I deserve. You know, Job declared his intention throughout the book to ask God some questions when the chance presented itself. He said, I'd like to ask Him, and I hear that all the time, well, I can't wait to ask God this or to, to demand an answer for that. And we hear people talk about wanting to put God on the witness stand, sort of like the, the theme of our episode today, asking Him to explain things to our satisfaction. We might even mm -hmm. say that Job wanted to put God on the hot seat in our common vernacular. 
Did God ever directly respond to Job's questions? <laughs> well, that's really interesting because it seems to me, quite frankly, that God rarely answers man's questions. Jesus, Jesus seldom answered uh, people's questions. He simply told them what they needed to hear, what they needed to know. And he did the same to Job. I mean, can you imagine yourself as Job when God thunders back after Job's been asking all these questions? And he says, who is this that darkens my, uh, counsel by words without knowledge? That's what we read earlier. Yeah. You know, gird your loins, I will ask you, and you instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of, of the earth? Job's in reality, see, Job's questions and even our questions sometimes just aren't right. Um, and so God tells us what we need to know rather than answer uh, our questions that just aren't right questions. Right. It's interesting, the other half of that verse, Job 38, 4, tell me if you have understanding. And then he goes on to say how, you know, he's determined the measurements of the universe and the morning stars sang, and he gives us all this history. Are we as humans with our little three-pound brains capable of understanding all that God can comprehend? Well, Nathan, that's really a, a great uh, question because certainly we can't comprehend uh, the depth of the infinite and, and eternal and holy God. But he has revealed himself to us. He's revealed himself to us in his word. He's revealed himself to us in what he has made so that we can know him and that we can know him rightly. Maybe not to the depth, certainly not to the depth of who he is, but we can know him and know him rightly. And it's, it is so like God to take the circumstances of life and use them to point out, point our thinking back to him. That's what's happening here in, in Job. For when we turn our eyes upon him, the circumstances, right, of our life uh, should grow dim. And that is what's happening here uh, with Job and his friends. He's pulling them out of their own uh, little self-centered stories and turning their eyes back on him his nature and his character. That is the true source of all truth, and it's the source for all of our answers. It certainly is. I think some people want to key on those aspects of, of God's wonder that he has not chosen to reveal, and that frustrates them instead of, of really gravitating to the things he has revealed. He has revealed himself through his son, Jesus Christ. And people just want to dismiss that and key on the things that they cannot know and, and arguably are unknowable, again, with our, our three-pound brain. Job makes several very dramatic statements that, that I think have prophetic and even messianic ramifications. Where, where do you see Job uh, testifying to his faith in a Savior and a Messiah who would come in the fullness of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there are, there are a couple uh, that uh, are very prominent here in, in Job. There are several of them, but a couple that are uh, quite prominent. In Job 13, uh, 15, Job says, Though he slay me, I will hope in him. This, this is a man who understands the promise of life after death, the promise of a salvation. In Job 19, 25 through 27, he says, as for me, I know my Redeemer lives. 
and at the last he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I will see God, whom I, I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes shall see and not another. Even without knowing for sure where Job fits in, uh, in the Bible's chronology, for sure he had at least the understanding of what we call the proto-evangel that we see in Genesis 3, where the seed yeah. of the woman would come, that is Christ, and would one day uh, make all things right again. It is apparent to me that Job had that understanding of the coming of a Messiah. He certainly didn't know it clearly. Uh, for sure he, he did not know it clearly, but he had an understanding of, of the Messiah and that he would one day come. Mm. Fascinating. Not only did he have an understanding of the Messiah, but as we're going through this Jesus in the Old Testament series, we're looking for pre-incarnate appearances of Jesus called Christophanies and symbols and foreshadowings of Jesus. Mm. So he foresaw the Messiah coming, but was Jesus actually there during the story of the book of Job? Well, you know, we, we don't have that specific kind of language in Job, okay. uh, but uh, many people believe, and I do as well, that when there is a physical presence of God that is manifested on, on earth, it is, it is most likely uh, that this is uh, the person of Jesus. Now, we want to make sure, by the way, we want to make sure, because it's very easy for us to fall into uh, polytheism. Mm -hmm. We begin to think that God is, you know, three separate gods. So when God appears, God appears. Uh, and sometimes, uh, you know, we don't want to get caught up in thinking, well, which person was this, as if it was a separate God. Um, but for sure, when I look at Job, I see the whole thing uh, in, in the light of Christ. And I think it's best understood uh, when we look at Isaiah 53, which was pointing to Christ and uh, the suffering Messiah, because the parallels are just simply amazing. Here is a man chosen by God who suffered terribly. Mm. Uh, Isaiah said he was smitten by God and Job was indirectly smitten by God. Isaiah says that the Messiah was despised and rejected. Job says that he was abhorred by others. Jesus cried out, why have you forsaken me? And Job does the same thing. Isaiah tells that the suffering Messiah would be restored, and so was Job. Now, you know, we have to be careful with types. Uh, it doesn't mean that Job is perfect. It doesn't mean that he was Christ. Uh, Job is trying, see, Job is trying to make the case that his righteousness should mean that his circumstances should be better. His friends were trying to make the case that it was Job's unrighteousness that was bringing about the circumstances he found himself in. Uh, our salvation uh, rests solely upon the righteous. That is why, you know, the, the Job is expressing the gospel to us here. The book of Job is expressing uh, the gospel to us. We can't claim health and wealth uh, and happiness because of our righteousness, nor can we link our suffering or our persecution 
uh, or other negative things to our lack of righteousness. In fact, Jesus said that those who are in Christ would suffer in this world. Therefore, uh, you know, we count that all as joy. Now, oftentimes that's easier said than done, right? It certainly is. You know, I, I love what you mentioned about Job being a type of Christ, imperfect though he was. And we would even say, I would, I think you would agree that Job, uh, his understanding had expressed a, a godly worldview. It was imperfect. It didn't have the fullness of revelation of Scripture that we have even with the New Testament. But when you use the language, and you really have, have dramatically demonstrated uh, the power of worldview, what do we mean for our viewers' sake when we talk about a biblical or a Christian worldview? What are some of the basic tenets of a Christian or biblical worldview? Sure. Well, when we speak of a, a biblical worldview, we're talking about the truth claims that God has revealed to us uh, that speak the truth about all of life, the 360 degrees of life, from philosophy to science to history uh, to social order. Now, our personal worldview, however, is often tainted by the truth claims that come from the world, the flesh, mm -hmm. and, and the enemy. And as Christians, and you know, we are constantly trying to conform our personal worldview more and more uh, with God's worldview. So God has spoken uh, about what is true about the world around us, and, and that is what we need uh, to uh, make our, our thinking conform to. Well, I certainly agree. And, and as I've said, even in our introduction, I have thoroughly appreciated the Truth Project which was your uh, major series talking about worldview. And I actually hope our viewers will delve into getting a copy of The Truth Project, participating in that wonderful study. But you are in the cusp or have just released another biblical worldview small group series that will allow people to cross-examine the Bible's account of history. So tell us a little bit about The Engagement Project. Well, basically, the engagement project is uh, trying to answer the question, why are we still here uh, in this world? And once we have a, a biblical worldview, as best as God will allow us to have that biblical worldview, what are we supposed to do with it? Uh, the engagement project is, uh, is a 10-week uh, small group study in, in video uh, form with uh, lots of animations and, and vignettes. Um, God appears to put his hands on it in the same way he's, he put his hands upon the Truth Project, and it went all over the world, and, and um, some say 20 million people have gone through the Truth Project, and, and already we begin to see uh, God is putting his hands in, upon the Engagement Project. Now, let me tell you emphatically, that is not because of me. Uh, I am just the tour guide and, and uh, pointing people uh, to, you know, the face of God. And uh, so it has nothing to do with me. It just happens to do with the fact that God has chosen to bless it. And uh, so the engagement project is, is basically to help us understand what, why are we here and what are we supposed to do. So, Dell, how would our viewers perhaps connect with your ministry? Where could they go to find out how to download the engagement project or to get a copy of the wonderful Truth Project series? Sure. Uh, the best way to do that is simply to go to deltackett.com. 
uh, and then uh, you can follow the menus and so forth uh, in terms of how to get trained to lead, lead a small group in the engagement project or to lead a small group in the truth project. Wonderful. Well, Dale, you are a willing servant and God only uses willing servants, uh, some of them grudgingly, but you have not been a grudging servant. Unlike Jonah, you have been a willing servant. And so you have been a conduit of blessing. I know that this new series will be a great blessing to many. And I just wanna thank you again for joining us today to dive into mm. the book of Job, to seek wisdom, and really to point us to Jesus Christ, our soon returning King, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Nathan. In addition to being one of the oldest books of the Bible, Job is one of the most difficult. It challenges our assumptions about the heavenly realm and dramatically shows that God's ways are above our ways. Well, we believe that Job was a real man with a real family that he loved and real friends that wanted to help him. Their inclination to sit with their suffering friend was noble and good, but their analysis of his plight and the reasons behind his grief completely missed the mark and ended up adding to his misery. Job's experience and his friend's misguided attempt to comfort him offer wisdom to those with discernment. We know that we will have trouble in this life. Jesus told us as much in John 16, 33. The key is not to lean on our own understanding or try to withstand trials and tribulations under our own strength. Jesus said that we should take courage because He has overcome the world. Jesus has also provided a support system for us in this life, His church. He does not intend for any Christian to be a lone wolf or more accurately, a lone sheep. We all know what happens to lone sheep. They quickly fall prey to the ravenous wolf. The church is where God uses us to encourage fellow believers. As Dell said, Christ intends to pull us out of our own little self-centered stories and turn our eyes back on Jesus. In this life, we serve Him by serving others, and sometimes that means sitting with people as they mourn or supporting them when they grow weary or pointing fellow believers back to God when they're tempted to stray. Job also demonstrates that we cannot understand why injustice occurs in this life or why seemingly innocent people suffer or why children get cancer and die. We can only trust that God is in control. Before His holy presence, our questions cease and our doubts flee away. Our key verses this week capture the poignant truths Job came to appreciate through his painful experience. We picked out Job 1, 6-8, 13-15, and 42-10 as key verses. Visit our website to access our key verse commentary on these passages. Our offer for this week is Dr. Reagan's Christ in Prophecy Study Guide. If this series has whet your appetite to explore all the prophetic references to Jesus in the Word of God, we highly recommend this resource. Nathan and I have both been through it and been blessed by it. As the apostles demonstrated in their preaching and writing, Bible prophecy validates the person of Jesus Christ and the significance of His first advent. It also points to the rapture in His glorious second coming. For a gift of $20 or more, we'll be glad to ship it to you. Next week, we'll turn our attention to the book of Psalms. We'd invite you to read through the Psalms and let the poetic hymns of David and Solomon and Asaph and the other writers bless your heart. Pick out your favorites and look for prophetic references to our Messiah, Jesus Christ. Well, until next week, I'm Nathan Jones. And I'm Tim Moore saying, look up, be watchful for the Lord who has revealed things too wonderful to comprehend and is worthy of our hope is drawing near. Christ in Prophecy is made possible through the faithful and generous support of viewers like you. Please consider making a donation to Lamb and Lion Ministries so that we can continue broadcasting the message of Jesus' soon return. Thank you and God bless you.